Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The last 12 months has changed our lives in ways which we never expected. Welcome to COVID Lives, a podcast series that looks at Irish lives during this extraordinary time in history. My name is Gavin Dowd, and I'm going to be speaking to people who have unique and meaningful stories to share about their lives throughout the pandemic. Whether it involved looking out for others, starting something new, or just finding ways to remain positive amidst the doom and gloom. Over the past year, we've all needed a laugh, and someone who's provided plenty of those has been internet comedian Steve-O Timothy. Steve-O has also spent the pandemic working on charity projects for the Irish Wheelchair Association, and he's currently preparing for a wheelchair boxing match against Irish boxer Paddy Barnes. Steve-O, for people that don't know you, tell me, who are you and what do you do? I'm a chancer that done a farmer accent and uh, got infamous for it. That's that's my introduction. (laughs) A complete chancer, a tomfool. They always say Irish people are terrible at talking themselves up. If you were American, yeah. Steve-O, and I asked you that question, you would have said, I'm a renowned internet comedian. I've been on oh CNN. God, I've been on biggest, Fox News. Yeah, I'm one of the biggest internet comedians in the world. I'd say my videos have been viewed <laughs> upwards of uh, 80 billion trillion times. <laughs> so how has the pandemic affected what you do? Because what you do is mostly online. I know you have done live tours around Ireland, but... How has it impacted us? The tours, mostly. Like, we, we were going to go over to the UK. I was in the middle of the Irish tour. So, yeah, so, yeah, that all that all went by the wayside. So, yeah, and just kind of... And then my Facebook page got taken down, and then it was like, oh, God, this is it. That's the end of it. But, yeah, just trying to, uh, I suppose, trying to focus and just trying to come up with new skits and planning a bit behind the scenes and trying to come back bigger and badder and better. Well, who'd have thought we'd be still in that phase at this point, well over a year later? Yeah, the last gig I did was the 6th of March, 2020. And I, our new tour isn't meant to start until January, 2022. So yeah, that's that's an, a, a mad amount of time in between. I'd probably be crap. I probably won't even remember my name on stage, never mind the set. <laughs> uh, well, we'll get into some of the stuff that you've been doing over the throughout the pandemic in terms of comedy in a few minutes' time. But I would like to ask you about your charity work. You're heavily involved in the Irish Wheelchair Association. Can you tell me about how you got involved with them? Well, my mother was a wheelchair user for a long time, so I kind of always was familiar with the work that they do and what they do and how much they love doing it. So it was always kind of a part of my life, I suppose. 
So then when the whole lockdown situation happened and all that started coming around and tours weren't were cancelled and stuff, I was like, I was sitting here one day and I think they asked me would I share something or retweet something. So I just said, nah, I'll do you one better. So that that kind of morphed from me going to cycle an exercise bike for a kilometer in my sitting room to me cycling five kilometers on a real bike. So yeah, that kind of, yeah, kind of took on a life of its own, like most things I do. So yeah, and, and I didn't die doing it. So it was a success really. Can you tell li- listeners who haven't heard of you before, what kind of challenge was that for you? And why was that such a big achievement? Oh, yeah, I didn't kind of elaborate. People are probably thinking, 5K, should I do that in my sleep? Yeah, I have incomplete paraplegia. I had a motorbike crash in 2005, so I broke my neck and my back. So I use a wheelchair and our crutches to get around. So, yeah, so it was a, it was a tough undertaking, but my trainer, Dara, he, he bet me into shape. So, yeah. And how many weeks training did that take you? About four or five months, I'd say. Wow. Okay. And yeah. how how many falls were involved along the way? I, only, I think I only had two falls, which wasn't too bad. And that was only getting used to the bike at the beginning. Because I had cycled a bike since my crash, but it was a long time. So it was to get used to the whole thing again and get, you know, my core strength wouldn't be that strong. And I knew if my leg went down the side, I can't exactly, like... Or if I fall to one side, I can't exactly flick my leg out and stop myself. So it's like you're going to go out in your face or out in your side. So, yeah, it took a while to get used to it. But once we kind of got used to that, then it was only a matter of straightening the legs up enough to carry me 5K. But the furthest we got, I think I think it was 12 and a half laps around the track. That was what 5K was. And up until the day of the cycle, we'd only managed near seven. So I was really uh, thinking I wouldn't make it. And what are you thinking in your head when you're doing those laps? And it's nearly maybe more torturous when you've got, you're doing it on a track because you're counting in your head, I'm sure. And you're realizing how many more laps you've got to go. How did you keep yourself going mentally? I think it was all the crowd there. It was all the crowd that pushed me on and having my family there and everyone like that, that kind of, and every time I went around the track, people were applauding and stuff. So that kind of just like, it got me emotional, but it also kind of gave me the strength I need to, to proceed through it have you been cycling since or have you gotten up on the bike since no <laughs> i'm terrible i was like i remember saying to Dara, like oh i'm gonna keep doing this now this yeah this is the rush i'm gonna keep doing this a year later have you been up on the bike no no i haven't i, haven't. <laughs> I think that torturous that just that five months has put me off cycling forever well you seem to have up the stakes altogether entirely with your next charity challenge which you're also doing in aid of the irish wheelchair association which is coming in september with your wheelchair boxing fight against the boxer paddy barnes how did that come about yeah as as always with everything i do it just came about accidentally i was asking on twitter the good old hive mind like does anyone out there do like mma for people in wheelchairs or boxing or anything and then paddy was like uh i'll i'll have a few which are whatever and I was like would you though and he was like yeah and then like it just got into my head then I just said would you do so- would you actually do something for charity and he was like in his imperceptible Belfast I'm getting to make a in charity so I was like yeah then it was on so yeah so I kind of it geez I think I put the GoFundMe up nearly immediately and donations started coming in and then a few like anonymous people donated like five grand and stuff and then conor mcgregor donated 10 grand and retweeted it a different 
things about it about six or seven times. So that really kind of blew it up and got the public kind of aware of it. And how much money have you raised at this stage? I think we're at about 32 now. It's kind of plateaued in the last while, but I am worrying about it as always, but I I wouldn't worry about it too much. When you say worrying about it, worrying about the fight or the, the money? Oh, I don't give a damn about the fight. It's about raising <laughs> as much as we possibly can. Don't, don't mind the fight. If I get my nose broken, so be it. As long as we raise 50 grand or something, you know, it's worth it. So a bike ride is one thing. Getting into a ring with a professional boxer in a wheelchair yeah. is another thing. Uh, what kind of preparation has gone into this? I was up to Pete Taylor, Katie Taylor's dad. I was up with uh, Phil Sutcliffe. He was one of Conor McGregor's boxing coaches. I'm going to be up with Packy Collins soon. Then when Conor McGregor comes back from America, I'm going to be going up to SBG with John Kavanagh. So I'm having the best in Ireland, not even Ireland, the world, training me. So even that alone is like, you know, to tell the grandkids someday kind of job. You know what I mean? It's just amazing. Now, the fighting is one part of it. Before the fight begins, though, so much of it is the psychological fight, the trash talk. And you're a very funny man and you put a lot of smiles on many people's faces. How are you going to terrify Paddy Barnes before the fight? I'm going to terrify him by not being too bothered. Because <laughs> I think that will get to him more than anything because he's used to all the trash talk. Because when we first announced it, I put up a video or two, me being pure take all this Paddy Barnes talking crap about me online and blah, blah, blah. But people didn't take to it too fondly. Because they thought, like, I get loads of comments, you're you're bigger than this man, don't fall into that kind of trap. And I'm like, no, this is part of it. And I was like, all right, no, this is not going to work. So we're just going to have to do the kind of nice promos and the nice kind of uh, the emotional side of it rather than the me getting picked with him at the side because that my, my crowd don't like it. Okay, so you're not going to stoop down to his level is what you're saying? Uh, we will, we will a bit because more people know about it now, I suppose. And it'd be awful tough for me to stoop down to his level because he's about 5'2 or something. <laughs> yeah. On a more serious note, there's a line that you mentioned in an interview when you were talking about your role with the Irish Wheelchair Association. And I, I thought this resonated quite a lot. You said the isolation that we've all been feeling over the past year and a bit, that this is what a lot of disabled people experience all the time. Can you, can you relate that to your own experience or your mother's experience? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because without organizations like the Irish Wheelchair, my mother wouldn't have got out much. You know what I mean? And it's just, it's a basic fact. And, you know, there's no lockdown. Everyone's walking around, minding their own. But even things like me meeting my friends and I go, is there steps up to that pub? And they go, no, 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 there's definitely not. I'll arrive there at the six steps. Because no one takes any notice of steps when when steps aren't a challenge. So you don't take notice of anything when anything's not a challenge. It's only when it becomes a challenge or it's out of your bounds, then it becomes hard for you. So we tend to like, it's just one of those things. I I would have never missed walking until I couldn't do it. You know, it's one of those things. And it, it's a great point that you make about how we design things, particularly in the urban environments, you know, yeah. shopping centers that have steps going up to them, cobblestones, yeah. which are nice to look at, but are... Not very yeah. practical if Shop you're somewhere in Galway. Precisely. I mean, it's tough enough yeah. using the cobbles after a few pints. Uh, yeah. But if if you if you're using crutches or if you're using a wheelchair, 
it's you know near on impossible and there are so many things okay. and even benches during the pandemic i saw some councils introduce benches that would have uh, space and things i i i like there's helping and there's almost pity moves and that was a complete and utter pity move. Every and any disabled organization or disabled person I knew was laughing their head off at that thing. Okay. You know what I mean? It was like it was like put the special one there in the corner. Most people are saying, like, we we have a seat. It's a wheelchair, and we'd rather turn facing the person we're talking to instead of side to side. You know what I mean? So it's like, sure. yeah, I didn't agree with that yoke at all. I just thought it was cat. But it's important to involve people with disabilities in these decisions. So, as you said, involve them them in the planning. Yeah, precisely. And then they can guess the thumbs up or the thumbs down uh, before they actually. Yeah, not a lot of people that have never experienced disability or been around a disabled person or having a disabled person in their family making and designing these things and then saying, now disabled people would be happy. You know what I mean? Sure. Back to comedy and Farmer Michael, who you modestly described as the farmer character that you did, who got a few views online earlier. To to people who haven't heard about him, who is he? What are his opinions on the world? He's basically your granddad or everyone's granddad or uncle who is backwards in his views, who's steadfast, he can't be wrong. He's homophobic, he's, he's every phobic. He's just all of it put together, but he's so ignorantly so of all those things that there's almost an an endearing feature about him that he's so wrong. Like he'll bring up any topic and he's so wrong with it that you can see, you know, the ridiculousness of his views. Like at the beginning, a lot of people were taking it for face value and thought it was a real person. And that kind of disturbed me a bit because, you know, they'd be there, ha, ah, he's saying the gays or the blacks. And I was like, no, that's kind of not the point. He's making fun of people that hold your views. But as the as the months and the years went on, more people kind of got what I was doing. But it's still always open to misinterpretation and misunderstanding, which often happens, but most people get it. I was going to ask that question because with the pandemic, we certainly have seen the rise of you know conspiracy theories with regards to COVID-19 and the vaccinations. Have you addressed topics like those with Farmer Michael? Yeah, I addressed once in uh, something about vaccines and it was taken down, you know, so yeah, I couldn't, you couldn't even do that satirically, where I was literally pulling the piss out of anti-vaxxers for about an hour, a minute and 45 seconds, and they took it down. There's no room for satire in the world. You can't, like, it kind of makes me laugh that you're fighting their battle and they still take it down. It, it seems absurd, to be honest. Yeah. And satire is such a powerful way to tackle these, I'm going to be kind and just call them conspiracy theories. I could be, I could yeah. be less kind and call them other things. Uh, but, yeah. you know, fighting hatred and fighting, you know, people with wild theories about things, fighting that with humour is such a powerful yeah. way to do it because it, it undermines their argument entirely. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It makes people laugh at them as opposed to giving them a platform. Like it's satire is one of the earliest ways th- those without power could target those in power without being massacred. Do you feel that comedy is maybe under threat in some ways if social media giants are taking down or their algorithms are taking down posts which address in any way topics that are meant to be taboo or forbidden? See, it's almost kind of, you know, they're in a hard situation because 
obviously it's not humans doing it because then it wouldn't happen, but they couldn't have humans doing it because it's too many people on Facebook and Twitter and all these. So obviously it's the bots and the algorithm and they look for keywords. So if there's keywords in a video or a title that like coronavirus doesn't exist, that's going to be gone. You know what I mean? Unless it's quoted, you know, blah, 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 says coronavirus doesn't exist. Blah, blah. So you, it's almost like you have to start, you have to start, perfecting your own ability to read what the algorithm will think before you even have a chance to put a sketch together. So you're like, you have to second guess a system before you even like, you know, make a video. So yeah, it becomes a kind of a, a social media masterclass as well as trying to make it a few jokes. Tell me about the gig that you've got or the gigs that you've got lined up in January of next year. Uh, we're doing Derry, Belfast, Cork, Limerick, all the the usual suspects so i think that's kicking off in january mid-january i think so yeah so, so i'm looking forward to that and hoping it'll go smoothly and hoping that people will because uh, people are still not kind of you know comfortable enough to like commit and buy tickets because they still feel like it's not going to go ahead so i'm just hoping that the trust will be there and things will be opened up and things will be back to normal and people will come and we'll Put on a show and get back to normal. Who knows what the situation is at the moment? The Gavin James concert's on tonight and they're, they're still trialling concerts. But yeah. yours might be among the first gigs to be back at full capacity without restrictions, maybe. Oh, uh, so. Which would make them absolutely. very special. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So hopefully, fingers crossed, because if you have to postpone it again, I'm going to go mad. I'm going <laughs> to go full on mad. I'm going to do a live stream and just go nuts. <laughs> and you'll definitely never get back on Facebook. <laughs> no, no, I'll be taken on immediately. <laughs> That's another episode of the COVID Lives podcast. I hope you enjoyed listening and please subscribe and leave a review. Talk to you soon. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Mm.